namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa buddhang dhammang sangham namasami Going, going home. How many of you think about going home, or say what what we do after the retreat? You can you can contemplate this. Always somewhere to go, isn't there? There's a, that that's what we call becoming. It's not a, a problem or a fault or a, a sin of any kind. It's just the, you can witness. We call that becoming that aspect of the of the of the mind process. So the, today is what Friday, Friday night. Then there is Saturday. That that very idea is called becoming. And whenever you think today is Friday, tomorrow is Saturday. This gives you an insight into the Buddha's teaching. Because actually, there isn't any Saturday, is there? Or any Friday either, can you come to think of it. <laughs> now, at this time, there's, there's the knowing and the known. And, in, and the known, it looks this way. And the eyes see it this way. The brain conceives it this way. The touch conceives it that way, the taste conceives it that way. We can maybe smell it, kick it. <laughs> the known, what is it? What is its quality? Can your eyes smell it? Can your brain taste it? Can you deny the validity of any of those experiences or confirm the validity of them? Yeah. Is there any intrinsic quality about greenness or or warmth? Can you smell warmth? Taste greenness? Taste a... Um, not unless you're taking psychedelics. Are these real or not real? Where's the real world? These are all we can know is that these are conventional or these are just interpretations of the sense consciousness. These are the sense consciousness picking up something and saying this is black, this is hot, this is sweet. And then the brain, a very agile consciousness, this is tomorrow, coming up, this is the debt, this is America, this is going home, this is the car, the husband, the 
and so forth, the mortgage, the life insurance, the, the world, the world, and then whatever we can make about that. Uh, but then when you're looking at just the, the brain is such a complicated sense consciousness. And then when you look at the simple ones, see, is this what it is, or is this just the way it is? And you say that what finally we can say is it changes. That's, that covers them all, doesn't it? They all change. You don't, you can't abide in any of them. You can't really find your your true abiding place, or feel totally at one or contented with anything you can see. You always find some little flaw in it, or you get lose interest in that. Anything you hear, you hear Beethoven's eighth, eighty times. First time it's lovely, and eightieth time it's it's probably neutral by that time. So you, there's nothing you can really fix upon. You can't grasp any of it. It won't stay. It won't uh, won't remain with you. It won't actually give you anything. It will pass through, and then maybe the responses of pleasure and pain. But you won't actually have anything apart from a memory, which is a, a something happening in the brain, isn't it? So we call this is what we call dukkha. Things are are somehow there's this uh, a yearning for something uh, wanting to hold wanting to become wanting to have and it's it won't you can't have it any of these sense sensory experiences that we think we are where we think our reality is and our real world is you, you can't find yourself there you can't have any of it it's a constant movement away from into tomorrow into yesterday into wouldn't that be nice if and why is it like that those kind of feelings wouldn't it be wonderful if those kind of feelings and then it's not, none of it belongs to anybody you can't find any, any person there any self there you can find just this wanting to hold onto a position wanting to hold onto emptiness nothingness or wanting to hold on to some form or an idea or a hope or belief cause something to do and something not to do we can make our whole lives one of the things we one of the things we're doing in our life is avoiding pain aren't we this is an occupation permanent profession for most human beings is the avoiding of that which is painful, uncomfortable to any of the senses. This is what we do, our occupation. Don't write it on your passport, I expect, but from the moment of birth until until the unavoidable um, getting overwhelmed by it all at the end, is the is avoiding pain. The other is seeking out that which is pleasing, pleasant in some way, refined, celestial, intellectual, emotional, physical, whatever, however you like to call it, that which which feels good, feels right. Now, this is uh, the occupation for us, the way it is on the sensory level, 
So you can you can contemplate all of these without any feeling of it should be otherwise. Avoiding pleasure, avoiding pain. Avoiding pleasure can be an occupation because then there can be a. But that's a something we we can seek out for an intellectual or a spiritual pleasure, mortification to feel right or justified or that we're doing better than others or to satisfy some kind of impulse in us. But when we honestly contemplate, at least when I contemplate these things, you have to, I can't say honestly what you feel, what you happens to you. But when I contemplate any of these, there's a strange aching, almost slightly sad or unsatisfied feeling because in my heart of hearts I know that you can't get away from things and you can't have things. That's there's always the, the discomfort, embarrassment, awkwardness, anxiety of some kind. Feeling a little bit, if only if it was like that. If only everybody was happy, that would make me feel good. If only everybody on this retreat was happy, pleasant, blissed out, and stayed like it forever. Didn't, you know, get fed up, have pain, feel uncomfortable, and get home and saturate themselves in TV and ice cream. How, but how, what right have, has anybody to say what anybody else should be like? For, as, as some person, out of, out of desire that I feel worthwhile, what right have I to say? Make me feel important. Make me feel significant. Make me feel I've changed your life or anything like that. What right have I got to ask that of anybody? Now, so that what I can do, all one can do is, in this life, really, is is you can give. You can you can you can allow, and you can give, and you can forgive. This is possible to do. To hold and to have and to expect is just not possible to really achieve. So we're just being realistic not even what's right or good or holy or anything, just what is possible to do. <laughs> we can actually can do and feel and as a unification with them. This is sort of giving in some way or another. Like the attention of our of our life can be shifted from that ache or that need to fulfill which we feel the, re- the response to that feeling of needing, lacking, if only, can be a rising up, a going forth, a coming, coming forth from the heart. And this is just quite 
a natural a natural inclination I think for human beings sometimes they don't know how profound that is or have the feel there's the occasion to really fulfill that or to use that in a, when we consider the world it seems as massive globe billions of people trillions of TNT all over the place hydrogen bombs and superpowers and megas this and mega that's I think there's little me in my you know in my little apartment in in some backwood city or you know blob number three million in New York on sort of floor 131st floor some sky rise which all the rooms look the same you know I'm thinking what can I do with all this so we can as long as we if our perceptions are if we don't understand them we can feel terribly hopeless or frustrated by our life we think I can't get anything really you know just kind of amble around the planet clutching at this and fiddling with that and toying with this and dabbling with that and a bit of this and a bit of that I can't really actually get anything solid and I don't feel I can really give very much either so that the people just get distracted and confused dithering around thinking well you know I'm just not a very important person just an average ordinary kind of being ordinary guy ordinary girl just drift around you know I suppose better get a job maybe get married or maybe not get married have a kid I suppose yeah right watch the TV yeah eat a hot dog yeah drink some beer yeah out on Sunday, yeah, that's what everybody does, and vote for this guy who's, I know he's a fake, but everybody you've got to vote for somebody <laughs> and so forth because we feel so out of touch with, with anything real, so we go through these kind of performances that somehow inside as we know it's a performance, but we don't really want to know it because that's too sad also and this is really I mean, this to me is, is the most sad thing for a human being. Because this is what dukkha is. It's not agonizing pain, it's just this, this uh, sadness of, of, of a human being not, not really having an opportunity to, to be human, to be fully human. And when, to, to, to express their humanity the fullness of it, the, the beauty of it, the, the uniqueness of it and the wonder of it mm. so with that we can, we feel, we can get very frustrated and we think well you know we, we can maybe take up some kind of cause or just to basically to, because we feel so frustrated and, and and then people get into kind of tirades and indignation and violence and so forth for notice all, all of the the changes that, that human beings wreak upon the planet and upon each other say in wars and revolutions and so and, and, and the things of that nature great it seems that 
there's this inertia and then people just can't handle being totally inert and dull all the time so there's a convulsive ripple we got to do something right let's do something let's smash this let's get rid of those let's convert those let's knock a mountain down or something let's change everything for the better our frustration that we feel personally we can feel in a group way and express that say upon the 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 dukkha around us the fact that things are not fair that things are not in any abstract way or any ideological way nothing is right as on the ideological plane the way that the brain can conceive of things are what it, what things should be like we can't ever find that we never find a society where everybody is looked after properly and everybody's well educated and everybody gets enough to eat and everybody can say what they want to say and everybody has equal shares and, and so forth nobody's getting a hard hard time anywhere and that, that so when we turn our attention that way with this frustration that we can feel in our own lives is mirrored by that in the world around us so we we should do something about this change it and I suppose this is what where religions and uh, uh, politics and, and science, the great movements of the human culture arise out of that basic frustration of feeling bound, limited and helpless and then a kind of rising up of energy to, to make that different. This is just observation. Uh, also one observes that, that up to date the um, the successes have been somewhat um, tainted by by uh, by other consequences. Like you, you one always finds that uh, you know desires to to set people straight generally involves rubbing somebody out. <laughs> so far up to date or, or you know one the majority kick out somebody or, or uh, um, revolutions and then a, a different kind of of uh, ideology sets in that sooner or later that becomes has become a, a, an exploitation or, um, because ideologies are not they're, they're projections from the brain they're not really the way we are we're not ideological creatures if you if you contemplated your the way you are, you can see that you don't really fit into any philosophy, ideology, religion, belief, or anything. Your whole there's a mystery about you. There's an irrational. There's why do you feel the way you do? What about the moods and the emotions? Why did that thought come into your brain? You're not a straight line. You're a, you're a whole web of 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 changing phenomena and they don't really make sense all we can say is that they come and they go and this sets that off and that triggers that off and there's this process we can look at process but we can't find a coherent reasoning behind it and I think this may be um, one reason why the um, totally rational 
aspirations to, to improve the world have, have they've certainly improved, and they've, but they've also left scars and, and uh, pain and, 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 and um, injustice also. Now, uh, because we can't accept, we haven't learned to accept the imperfection as being that which is natural in the sensory world. You say it is, it is nature, it is natural that things are, there's always that slightly imperfect quality. And that gets magnified by the, the imperfections in, the, in people's minds, in people's brains, and in people's way of perceiving things. They get greedy, and they, they get spiteful, they get hateful, they get selfish. So that, that continuing to not perceive that makes things a whole lot worse. So there's certainly room for change, but we have to consider what, what is the, where can this start and how can we do that? How we, can we change? Because we are in a position we have to be very responsible as human beings now. We've just about thumped Mother Nature and certainly intimidated and uh, all the rest of the of the living creatures on the planet. I think the ant might have a, a last laugh one day, but they're pretty small creatures. We've messed up the forests and the soil and the rivers and the seas and the, the, and the, and the atmosphere. <laughs> so we have to be very responsible at this time. We can't afford to just go jumping to conclusions because we're so powerful. We have so much power at our fingertips. The world is now, there's no more hidden places, are there? There's no more places where you can really get away from it all. You walk across Antarctica, sooner or later you'll bump into some, some, sub, uh, some Antarctic expedition with hot dogs and Coca-Colas. And then all the Pacific Islands have got uh, holiday inns on, on them. So there's nowhere we can really say, forget about it all, let's get away from it all. Go to somewhere where it's, where it's other. It's all the same now. There's just different degrees of it. This means that we now have to be very, very responsible as human beings. And essentially, you, you, well, as, you, as you're meditating, you begin to see that you can't really follow your most immediate instincts, ideas, thoughts, plans, which are very convincing, such as tomorrow is Saturday, then day after that's Sunday. At, that, at this time, if we follow that, what that signifies, where do we, where do we find ourselves? Planning, worrying, in fact, dealing with what is not known and uncertain as if it could be known and could be certain. Projecting an abstract or an idea and then we begin to actually live in that way. We can follow that up with our, with our actions of body and our speech. So we're actually following what is purely a mind creation. Just, just you can see this in, in you know, in this very simple situation. 
we feel almost irresponsible if we don't. But yeah, what, what is responsibility? Is responsibility always that which is a reaction to the projections of the brain? To what we assume things are? Or wouldn't it be more accurate to say it, it could possibly be a response to a more full and complete attention and awareness of the way things are at this time? And there is this possibility when, as one begins to cultivate insight, there is this possibility of much more clearly knowing yourself, how you work, where you're lying, or where you're true, where you're hiding things, where you're holding on, where you're really being free or honest, where you're being, uh, where there's love in your heart, and where there's just uh, lip service. Uh, conformity where, where you're at you know, th- this and then with insight one is seeing that this actually we can cultivate this way more uh, with our where we're at I'm saying that, that the as this retreat develops if that's the right word that the, the meditation is ob- object is becoming you who? You know who you are. You are. You are. It's not your your knees or your breath, or it's you. <laughs> you are now the meditation object. And I don't mean you as a kind of physical entity, or as a historical notion, or as a, a Libra with Aries rising. I mean where you're at at this moment is the meditation object. Where, what, what makes you tick, what your beliefs are, what you want to do, what you don't want to do, where you're feeling, whatever it is that comes within that, that, that uh, focal point of me. Now whether we hold that or not, there is that, there is that focal point, whether it's, it's grasped blindly and believed in, or whether it's just a conventional recognition. So the, the, I'm talking about it now as, uh, as say, just a, a recognition of being accurately in touch with with the, the where I am, where I'm inclining, where my interest is, what moves me, what I'm what I'm what I'm directed towards. Even if on, on one level I can know that it's not self, there's still there's somehow this karmic inclination where there's, there's thoughts running through, or there's feelings, or there's, there's notions, or there's habit tendencies. There's the process of becoming that we can contemplate, the whole moving. Then there's the, the instinctive attractions to, to things that we, that we feel drawn towards. Mm. Warmth, uh, sleep, rest when we're tired, food when we're hungry. Things, things of this nature, it's an instinctive movement towards. This is exactly where we're at. And you can, as you cultivate this, you can, you can see this in much more refined detail. Right? Also, what ideas, because we are, we are often very much drawn um, 
ideologically, aren't we? We may not think we're great idealists, but, well, I, this is me and this is my way of doing things, that's the way I think I, I like to do, and is a kind of personal ideology. I like to get up early in the morning, go for a jog, and then, you know, is a kind of personal um, system, a structure, a personal, a personal structure. Some of us may feel we like to nurse, or, or we like to do physical work, or we want to take up some uh, political or religious thing. This is up to us. These are the structures that we have to be responsible for. In Dhamma, when you're practicing Dhamma, you're seeing that any of these, you don't have to, you, as long as you're genuine and sincere and you're cultivating the structure of your life with Dhamma, then you, it's possible to be fully human within that. Not everybody's going to be president, but that's not necessary. Or not everybody's going to be, say, the, a great religious leader, or a great scientist, or a great philosopher, a great um, anything on, on that level. But we can be very grandly what we are. We can look at the structures in our life, and perhaps see what we feel drawn towards, how we can develop a sense of personal direction for this body and mind. What is, what is possible? And then to, to take advantage of, of what, where we're at at this time. Maybe people think, well, I'm just a, you know, I'm just a housewife. There's nothing, I'm just a mother. As if that's not important. Because it's not, it's not, there's nobody, you don't have to vote to be a housewife, you don't get elected into housewifery or motherhood. It kind of just happens. <laughs> so we can think, you know, that, that's not an important thing, boring, useless. But it can be a structure, just something humble like that, it can be a structure within which you, you cultivate wisdom, compassion, love, you, you, and you bring forth. You rise up to that, even the limitations of it. Because all of these structures are limited. We have to learn this. I mean, I expect you can get a few things going. But you can't, say, be president, nuclear scientist, great musician, Tai Chi master, Great doctor, discover the art, the, the the way to cure AIDS. Write the great American novel, and be enlightened too. <laughs> Something like that. Is it? I'd like to. Can I? Can I? Is it possible to get enlightened and be? You know, and then this kind of list of things he'd like to do. Now, I'd like to be enlightened, but I don't, want to, I don't want to give up being that and doing that. I'd like to be enlightened and, you know, have fun, do this, do that, do the other. Yeah, but we, we can't, but being enlightened isn't a kind of separate occupation. Well, I've decided to be enlightened. I've decided, oh, good for you. I've decided to uh, 
breed chipmunks. <laughs> but there's a possibility of not breeding enlightened chipmunks, but but in living one's life in an enlightened way. And we, once we begin to see this is very possible for all of us, then we think, well actually, if I take as the standard of my life enlightenment, now I, you know, I have every possibility, I have to be responsible enough to recognize that I am, as a human being, one of those who have the potential for enlightenment. I can't just cop out and say, well, no, I'm just an ordinary old Joe, or I'm a housewife, or I'm nobody special. It's, I am, or is that possibility for a, to, be in, to, to live an enlightened life? Not just an anonymous blob who doesn't matter. And then when you, when you bring that up into your mind, then you think, what do, you know, is it really worthwhile breeding chipmunks after all? No, not if you're enlightened. Enlightened beings, you don't need to do that. That's, that's only if you're just considering yourself to be an ordinary old Joe with nothing better to do. Now this granting ourselves the practice of enlightenment mean, means that we don't have to ask these kind of questions about can I do this and be enlightened? Because we see, is this worth doing or not worth doing? If, it's worth, if you really honestly think this is worth doing, then do it, and do it with full attention with the factors of enlightenment. Do it in an enlightened way, without, with, without attachment, with great giving, with great patience, with great attention. Recognize the simple fact that whatever you do, it will most gladden you and be a blessing to the world if it's a giving, if it's a gift, if it's, if it's not asking for expecting anything, if it's a real giving, this will unify, this will, this will fulfill you. And then, you know, you have to, all of us have to look at our circumstances and see what, what can we do. And then rather than think, always feel that we are hopeless and inadequate, to look at our life in, in a way that if we've got to do something, then we'll do it in an enlightened way. You've just been sitting here for a week now, sitting, breathing and walking. Can you do that and be enlightened too? Is that something separate from it? Or do you see that as, a, as an occupation? Well, I sat. I walked, I sat. You don't, you don't normally think, well, you know, I just sat and walked for a week. I, I didn't do it, I just sat and walked. I'm just an ordinary old person who sits and walks, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, I sat, I walked. <laughs> we can make this simple structure one of enormous significance, can't we? Why can't we make, I, I drove the car, or, I cleaned the house, or I cut the flowers. Equally significant. I mean, what's so sacred about sitting down? <laughs> or walking, or breathing. I mean, they are they're supposed to be so totally ordinary experiences that there's the possibility to <laughs> not be attached to them. <laughs>
not to attach any kind of selfhood or, or grasping around them. <laughs> it's, the, it's the idea. <laughs> so, See, the point, the point of it all is to just learn these, 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 the way, way things are, not, you know, human beings, they, you, you can be enlightened, even sitting down and breathing, you can be enlightened. Let alone doing other things. Now, you know, just, kind of playing around really just to to give you some ways of looking at, at how you can, how you're conceiving either your, your life now or your meditation practice or what you should do in your life in the in the world how you, how you can help how you can feel good with your life to to recognize that we we create a whole hierarchy of of significance, and yet this is what this is really. This hierarchy is is a, a total. It's a fallacy, isn't it? I mean, it's a mind construction. Because at this time, we can make an enormous, significant thing about sitting down. Who can sit longest, or how can we sit, or we sat for ten days, or and yet. Uh, when you step outside of this little realm, it's a totally ludicrous statement, isn't it? I sat, therefore I am, well, I'm, therefore I'm not. So <laughs> 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 no, it creates more possibilities to see how, how, just with the right kind of inclination, we can give ourselves completely, fully, insightfully, learn a lot about ourselves, Purify the mind to a point where we're coming from a much more mellow and and uh, reflective space around very simple things, just structures in life, and then to to cultivate this in in one's in one's life. Now, the the when we look at what a, what a structure is about, this is a good idea. See, what is the fundamental for for a structure? Is that Say there is that which is free from harming anything. Here we've avowed not to harm anything, not to take anything that isn't given, not to steal, to create that pain for others and that guilt in ourselves, to covet. And what do these imply? I mean, the attitude of violence, of of without reflection, imposing one's will brutally upon another violence and then without anybody's consent taking you know, away no, knowing that it's not been offered or given sexually making use of people just for one's pure selfish ends just getting pleasure out of other other people without any sense of responsibility or or anything that's that has has a quality of faithfulness or or respect that, that. Uh, using speech in a way that is not for conveying that which is helpful or encouraging or true, but 
use, we're refraining from using speech in ways that, that might be ugly or painful or offensive and then refraining from just befuddling our minds with, with, with intoxicants using that as a structure and you see what, what does this imply? It implies a, a responsibility towards this body and mind and towards the bodies and minds of others and it, it, but it also signifies that there's a kind of a wrecking, there's a limiting in our life because it certainly is, it's, it's quite easy to kill things and, and, and steal things and sexually use people and uh, very easy to use wrong speech and also to, to be fuddly of consciousness there's plenty of opportunities, potential yeah. and these are certainly in some ways these are more exciting than, than keeping the precepts you know, if you, what, war is exciting, violence is exciting isn't it? people like to watch it or, or they're excited with, with anger or irritation but it is, it's a stimulating thing and so, and so are all the others they, they excite they, so in order to, to keep these we have to honestly in our hearts to, to really keep to the principles of, of what is being offered as that which is necessary for enlightenment not the hierarchical structure of significant roles but an internal reflective structure that recognizes that some of the possibilities that my mind can create as being interesting or useful or the right thing to do, I've got to stop. You know, when I see some bug crawling up my nose, then very easy to squash, only a bug. Ugly. <laughs> that is quite. It's quite a real, uh, reasonable response, isn't it? Bug doesn't matter. There's millions of them. And it's it's annoying me. Or it ate my, you know, at the carrot or something. Or some horrible, creepy, crawly thing at the at the carrot I was had planned for my dinner. Kill it. Spray it. Quite, it's quite easy to, to justify that you can, you can justify all of these it's quite possible for us to conceive of, of ways beyond these that are, are normal, natural everybody does it anyway everybody swindles, everybody fills their taxes everybody talks like that you just got to do that to get on everybody has sex on the sly you know, it's, it's natural, it's normal it's healthy, <laughs> you know, or it's, or it's fun or whatever. It's quite so. These are keeping to these precepts. Isn't just a matter of of, of doing what is most uh, instinctive. It actually means that there's some very rational and plausible alternatives that we have to give up if we're going to use a structure at all. Otherwise, you can't. There's no structure. Otherwise, you've just got to abandon the idea of structure and abandon the idea of, of, of really bringing forth any wisdom in your life. Because if you don't use structure, you've got nothing to really wear through the delusion and the self-beliefs with. A good structure is like a, 
is like a sharpening stone to sharpen your wisdom and your selflessness and your giving upon something because we feel then if we if we limit ourselves with a the structure there's always going to be the feeling of I'd want to but I can't and nobody else is saying that we have to say that to ourselves and be willing to say that and know why we're saying it and feel right about that and when we're meditating we are supported by this because we we recognize that the not getting what we want is the way it is and having to put up with limitations is the way it is so one begins to consider well it's doing willingly with good grace rather than sullenly finally knuckle under <laughs> to the way it is we might as well if that's the way it is we might as well do it <laughs> with good grace rather than be you know bludgeoned into it uh, in a sense of, of having to conform to, to the way it is we might as well do it right uh, so I mean bring this up and when you to you reflect upon it you see that and then you, you think yeah but giving up putting aside letting go is better and you, in this practice I hope you're getting some experience of of that or in your meditation as, as you cultivate through the years uh, I hope this becomes a a meaningful sign for you the letting go is better now when that becomes established in the mind we start to see how not just the, the precepts but that whole, that whole recognition that we will have to put aside something that we'd rather like and pick up something that we don't particularly like in order to finally feel whole and not like some alienated being lost in their own dreams and fantasies and despair and we can apply this to what, what we're doing in our life a sense of, of commitment and resolution and a, a rising up to beyond, beyond just the limitations of what we think we are a real rising up to, to situations even picking, taking up situations and, and, ev- and it, and occurrences that ask something from you that, that mean you have to give up something no. I'm not saying that my, my way has been this way say the renunciant life that's this way that's, this, that's one way of doing it it has its value but that's not the way for everybody or expected or it's not necessary just to look at the outward form and think that that's some kind of blueprint for humanity but look at the internal gesture that's being made and see that's possible for everyone to make some kind of gesture like that with their life and their possibilities and perhaps where, where inclination interest arises in them to say take, pick up something to ask something from you that means you've got to give yourself to it and that it is an act of, of surrender 
for the welfare, for the ending of suffering, even if it's just um, being a responsible citizen and not swindling the taxes or But I think when we, we see the possibility for this, then people can uh, really can rise to occasions uh, and, and work in, in helpful ways for the welfare of the world. Now in this... Um, so the one understand begins to consider the, the, the what is the, the structure for 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 the enlightened life just as a as a theme. And then we always come back to going when we go home. There's always the there's the possibility for really going home, going back to the source. When we've made our peace with the world, with what we ha- what we become, what we do, what we create, and what we make, so that there is this unification of our heart and mind. Our life is lived in parallel with samadhi, and there's a unification. We are with what we're doing and we give ourselves to what we're doing. So this is what brings around a kind of living samadhi, or living unification of our life. Then right view is apparent. You, you, when you, you look into your mind, your heart, and you see there's the knowing. When we sit, when there's time to, to not to do anything, then the, there can be silence. Because there's no, there's no regret and no, I should have and what if and if only I could and maybe I should. What about, because we know we've, we've done what we could today. And there's always the possibility of if only and wouldn't it be nice if and how I could, but that's that's the possibility, that's the potential that isn't here yet, and we have to put aside that as a, as a reality. Otherwise, you're always moving around, shifting that, doing this, doing that, doing this, doing that, and part of the problem in the world is is not really that people are inactive; it's just that they are active without reflection. Digging things up, maybe knocking things down, building things, smashing things, creating things. You know, constantly busy, 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 busy. Doing things to improve everything. But the, uh, the result is, is frenzied human beings disagreements over how one can improve things and the improvements actually going rather sour because they weren't really understood. I think years ago they used to think that DDT was going to 
you know, the wonder thing that would just get make us uh, get rid of all the bugs, and then you know we could have more food for everybody. Of course, uh, that was a great idea, wasn't it? So of course the bugs evolved to be immune to DDT, and we poisoned ourselves. <laughs> Progress. <laughs> and they, they you know, camp, they wondered drugs that would cure everything. And then they, they found that there was this, in Britain years ago, I don't know if they had this in America, they had this thing called thalidomide, which I think was some kind of thing to help people sleep make things better. They, but when pregnant women took it, they, they gave birth to deformed babies without arms and legs and all that. Not just being sour about it, I mean, the, but these, these may, be, may be gross examples, but you consider the, the, the changes in the world with good intention, but, but often really lacking a thorough investigation what we're doing, why we're doing it, what we really expect, how much do we want out of this planet, <laughs> how much do we want out of our life, does it have to be totally, completely carefree, comfortable for me? Yeah. Is that what, is that any, have I any right to ask that? Like, I don't want to ever die, I have pain, I can't, sorry I can't allow that, I can't have less than I think I'm I deserve, and I must be surrounded by sympathetic people who listen to everything I say and respond to everything I say, fascinated by me, care about me deeply, <laughs> otherwise, you know, I've got to seek out and, and make things different. Though so we can't ask that, what we can do is say, don't, is we can recognise that it's going to, it's, there's a few bumps on this road. And rather than make a problem out of that, we can try to help others. But why is reflecting on what, what is helpful for others? What really is helpful? And certainly it's, it's helpful to be able to cure diseases, provided you're not causing other ones by doing it. And providing you're not slicing up animals and sticking things into them to, you know, that hasn't helped. I don't think the rats and the rabbits have really been too, too uh, helped by medical research. These <laughs> mm -hmm. rats and rabbits don't matter as much as human beings do, unless you're a rat or rabbit. <laughs> so it's all relative, isn't it? So that we maybe we have to cons just be responsible, consider well, you know, relatively this is better than that. It's not perfect, but it is better than that. And rather than expect things to be perfect, just do what is better and causes at least harm as possible. And one way to do this is to is to keep a moral standard and to keep a sensitivity to what one is doing.
then the, the, this feeds back into the meditation practice, doesn't it? When you, you're sitting and there's the, the various diseases of the mind, expecting them to be perfect, expecting your mind to be perfect, without any warts or wrinkles in it, or any kind of aging, decrepit feelings. It's permanently bright and vigorous and joyous all the time. Otherwise, meditation isn't working right. Give me another set. Now we can project how we relate to the world onto how we relate to this being, and vice versa. If one's life in the world is, is wholesome and giving, it quite naturally follows as the day follows the night, that you're true to yourself. And the attitude towards yourself is no longer the heavy-fisted, beat this thing into shape, make me be something. There's a, a compassion towards all the breathing, living, sentient beings that you can witness in your mind, all the yesterdays and tomorrows and the if-onlys and the doubting beings and the worrying thoughts and the agitated emotions. And rather than some notional invisible tyrant making them all perfect to please them. Buddha is not a tyrant. A, so this awakened quality of our consciousness in, in our mind is not tyrannical. Not saying you have to be perfect for me. And this, the imperfection of the sensory consciousness does not, we just don't hold it anymore. We don't hold it with fear, with shame, with guilt. We know we've done what we could when we practice correctly. We know we've been completely attentive and that what response is being made is genuine from the heart. So that then the, the fear and the desire and the aversion and the regret die away. The mind is then is clear. Thoughts come and go and, and that all that movement, all that need and that frustration, the becoming passes away. We become silent. There's nothing to say. Now if you listen inwardly into your thought with this with great compassion, compassion is a listening quality. You can, you can hear the thoughts and the sounds and the movements and you hear behind it, you hear the silence, you hear the, the space. You, you can kind of just listen inwardly till that, that silence becomes like the sound of water rushing. That you can abide in that, in the, in the silence and the emptiness of the mind. And then when the, the need to think, do, create, become, that can be done willingly, uh, with understanding. This is a, it's that simple really. Is uh, for something to be peaceful and true, it has to be simple. 
Is it anything that's complicated? Is no, is not peaceful. Is it? It's not hasn't got a rhythm of peace. So the the simpler you can get it, the more the more you're getting in line with with truth, with dhamma. Then what's the simplest thing? This is the knowing, the silence, and the movements. That which moves and comes and goes, changing thought, feeling, emotion, sensation, aspiration, whatever, and the knowing, change, and anatta, no self. Very direct practice inside, and from that you can cultivate your whole your whole world from that. This is more, say, remarkable and skillful than anything really complicated or, or anything that's just done in order to, to make one feel one's doing something. There's enough doing already. Yeah, remember there's a, one of the, one of the um, parables of the Buddha's teaching career, the elder Ananda was giving these descriptions of the Buddha to, to the other monks, saying, I'm fantastic. What a fantastic, miraculous person the Buddha was. And he's saying, I, when the Buddha was born, the angels in heaven were, were there. They rejoiced and sang. And when the, Buddha, when the Buddha came out of his mother's womb, he, he landed on the ground, he's completely clean, and he landed on, on Benares satin, silk, and he stood up, he walked seven steps, and at each step a lotus bloomed, and he proclaimed at the end of the seventh step, I'm chief of all the world. You know. <laughs> but you can't do that. That's pretty, you know, you don't, can't do that, can you? But you didn't do that when you were a little tot. Uh, oh my goodness. Sounds pretty difficult. I mean, how can you, you know, you've got to do that to be a Buddha. I mean, is, that what, is that the kind of essential quality of Buddha? There? And then the Buddha said, very good, Ananda, but remember this. Mindfully they know their thoughts when they endure, and mindfully they know their thoughts when they cease. This is the most wonderful, sublime, excellent quality of a Buddha. Remember that. <laughs> Quite a teaching, isn't it? Can you do that? You can't. I don't think you're ever going to be born out of your mother's womb, completely clean, and land on a in Benares silk, or take seven steps with lotuses blooming, proclaiming chief of the world. But there is a possibility that you might know that with mindfulness, this is a thought. Here it comes, there it goes. <laughs> that's, that is difficult, but it is possible. Because it's difficult because for that you have to take it back to one moment at a time, very simple, very patient, very equanimous. There's a stupid thought, profound thought, earth-shattering revelation. Comes. Goes. 
and in that, that knowing of that, you you've got your your balance with thought. Then you can create the ones you want, or work re, uh, respond wisely to the ones you think ought to do this. The ones that are just painful and ugly and negative and despairing. Okay, let that one go. Let that one go down. Let that one pass. Let that one pass. Then you have the possibility for the freedom of enlightenment and for wise action in the world. Right, right there. When your practice is just that simple, that direct. So I'll offer this for your reflection tonight. <coughs>